Amen. Thank you so much, Faith and Paul and Choir. Thought of Philippians chapter 2. It says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want you to know this morning that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, that you are complete in Christ. Let me say it again. You are complete in Christ, not because of your profession, not because of your family name, not because you are married or not married, not because you have children or don't have children, but you are complete in Christ. That is a freeing thought. I'm so thankful to preach here this morning. I'm going to be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 2. Some of you may remember I'm going to be preaching a series on elders, uh, I'm still going to be doing that. I don't know if that excites you or not, but I'm still going to be doing that. Um, but that's going to start next week. Um, but this morning, I want to preach from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I uh, want to kind of set the back story as to why I'm preaching from 1 Peter 2. I was in a car with three other people, two old uh, friends in the back seat from my ministry in Canada, the days of uh, ministering in a in a deserted, frozen land. I'm so thankful for the humidity in the south. But uh, Ryan and Jeremy were in the back, and up in the front driving was none other than Dennis Rumbly. And Dennis said, uh, I want to say this in the presence of you witnesses in the back and with my pastor in the passenger seat, that, Pastor, I want you to call us to holiness. And I said, well, brother, thank you for that encouragement. I was already, believe it or not, I was already planning on doing so. And because of a sermon that I had heard at Together for the Gospel, I had already started typing notes in my phone, which I'm one of the worst people with phones. I'm like, I'm just auto-correcting every four seconds. So I I had already started some notes in my phone. And so this message um, began in Louisville, Kentucky, but we're going to continue it here this morning. And I thought 1 Peter chapter 2 was a good place to start. Leviticus 19 is a great chapter talking about the holiness of God. Well, here this morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. At the conference, as I said last week, the theme of the conference is that we are called to be distinct from the world. We are called to be set apart from the world. You and I, if we are Christians, are called to be holy, set apart to proclaim the greatness of God in the midst of a broken, fallen world. This requires faith a secure faith built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so I want to spend some time this morning calling you, calling me to holiness. R.C. Sproul, I'm going to read a quote from R.C. Sproul, then we'll get into the text. He says, When we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of His holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. Helpless sinners can survive only by grace. Our strength is futile in itself. We are spiritually impotent without the assistance of a merciful God. We may dislike giving our attention to God's wrath and justice, but until we incline ourselves to these aspects of God's nature, we will never appreciate what has been wrought for us by grace. Amen. Would you stand with me as we look at our passage this morning? 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes these words. He says, Put away all malice 
and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to see who you are, to remind us yet again that you are good and your plans are good. So Father, we need to trust in you this hour. Lord, we come with distractions in our minds and in our hearts. Father, sin that may be unrepented of, so lead us to repent. Lead us to return to you. And Father, you have called us, you have drawn us, you have chosen us. We are precious in your sight. And so Father, even that thought is boggling to our minds. We can't fathom what you have done, that you have called us as yet sinners. And you have called us to proclaim your greatness. So Lord, as your children, we are here this morning proclaiming that you are the one true living God. And so, Lord, lead us as your people. Teach us your ways. Sanctify us in the truth. Father, lead us by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will teach us your ways. Lord, help us to put away the old man, the old woman. Let us not return to it as a dog turns to its own vomit. Father, I pray that we will not be foolish, but Lord, I pray that we will be wise, not in our own eyes, but we will be wise in seeking you and loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we thank you that you have shown us grace upon grace, and you have shown us mercy that is unfathomable. Lord, I pray that you will lead us. Lord, I thank you that you are the chief shepherd. So return our souls to you. 
And Lord, I thank you and praise you for the work that you are doing. Lord, I pray that you will do a mighty work in our midst. Father, we are few in number, but so are the Israelites. So Lord, may your name be glorified. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so excited to go through this. First uh, Peter is such a wonderful book, such a powerful book. I know the ladies of the church had did a study at one point on First Peter. I encourage you to go back and to read this letter. It's kind of hard to just jump in in chapter 2, but that's indeed what we're going to do today. Peter is writing to encourage the believers to stand fast, to persevere in the midst of suffering in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of all the heartache, all the trials, all that they're facing, um, he he encourages them to persevere. And so I thank you and praise you that we, I praise God that we have the opportunity to look at this letter this morning. And as they are persevering, they see that there is much difficulty, that there is evil that is going all around them that they are facing various trials. In fact, in the first chapter, he says, now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, but it is testing, it is sharpening the genuineness of their faith. And so we must remember that we are going through trials that might test our faith and it might be proven true. This past week, I was at the dentist. You know how much I love the dentist. I feel like uh, one-third of my sermon illustrations are about the dentist. But uh, truth be told, I had postponed this dentist appointment twice. Uh, that's how much I love the dentist. But while I was there, um, he started talking about just how evil this age is, how horrible it is. He started talking about this cultural crisis, this bad thing. And he says, you know, brother, this is a terrible time that we are living in. And all that he was saying was true. But I want to caution him, I didn't caution him, but I want to caution us this morning about living in the past, about living in the good old days, so to speak. In fact, uh, I read this this past week, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. I don't often read the New Living Translation, but I love the New Living Translation right here. It says, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wow, that hits you right between the eyes. And so we are not called to look to the past. We are called to live in the present. And so how do we do that as Christ followers? How do we live as the church? Well, first and foremost, we must view ourselves as the people of God who have hope. You have hope. Mike and I have been taking a biblical counseling class, and one of the things that they talk about doing right at the very outset of counseling is to offer the person sitting in front of you hope. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you're a Christian, you have many, many ways to do that, and we offer it through the Word. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to get to chapter 2, but chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This isn't a a possibility. This is a certainty. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is on reserve. And so we have a living hope. So let me remind you this morning, we must view ourselves as the people of God who have hope. 
So, so often we are tempted to kind of zoom in on the small details, the small circumstances, the small situation, and not see the bigger picture, not see what God is doing, not see that He is present in our trials. So remind, let me remind you this morning, we have hope. We've been called by God to live for God. So this is where we pick up in chapter 2. Peter's been setting this foundation that you have been called to be holy. In chapter 1, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he continues this theme in chapter 2. And he says, because you've been called by God, basically what he now says is live for him. Live for him. In chapter 2, he says, you have been born, or he says, to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So as God's people, we're not to be characterized by such things. Our speech must reflect the new person, the new creation. So we must be characterized by God and his presence in our life. That's what we see here at the very beginning of chapter 2. He says, put away all malice. So we are putting away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It doesn't mean that we don't ever sin, because we still sin, but we're not to be characterized in this way. He says, you've been born again. And he gives the illustration of being a brand new baby. Brand new babies crave milk. They crave milk. They they have to be near the, the milk. They have to have the milk as the very substance of life. So is that very milk is the substance of life for babies. For us, for babes in Christ, we must crave the pure word of God. Amen. We must crave the pure word of God. Um, I was texting uh, back and forth with Johansi last night, and uh, we were praying for one another, and I was reminding him of the power of God's word as he was encouraging me as well. So thankful for that brother. And God's word brings life. So we must crave the pure word of God. The word is the means by which the believers came to know God. Remember back whenever you first came to know Christ. It's like you couldn't get enough of God's word. That's why it's so amazing to be around new believers because they want to read God's word. But wouldn't, but you know, you've heard many people say that. I'm not the only person who said that. But wouldn't it be amazing to hear people say, I just love to be around 90-year-olds because they just can't get enough of God's Word. You know, that should be said of all of us. We just can't get enough of God's Word. And so here is the pure spiritual milk. This is the means by which we came to know God. This is the means by which we continue to seek God. The Bible is not just a book. It is a book that brings life. My friend Joey Eaton went to seminary with, pastor in Kentucky. He says this. He says, Christian... If you are not regularly in the Bible, experiencing its richness and sweetness, it is not surprising when you struggle in various ways. Your temptation will be to blame others for your problems because you've been, you've been cutting yourself off from the nourishment you have been created for, and it's often easier than owning your need to return to the Lord. Don't live on fumes and confuse hunger pains from spiritual malnourishment with legitimate sufferings that are natural to the faithful Christian life. You know, I there was a day this past week when uh, it was around 3 or 4 o'clock and I was just moody and irritable and just kind of sluggish. I was like, well, I haven't had lunch today. 
How about that? Maybe I should get something to eat. And so when you uh, miss something that important, your body notices. When you miss reading the Word of God, it will impact your life. So Peter tells us, back to the passage, he says in verse 3, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the... If indeed that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, if you know that milk, if you know salvation, if you have followed Christ, then you know that God is good. You don't just say that when Larry gets up and says, the Lord is good. It's not out of rote routine, but you have tasted, you have seen God's presence in your life. God is good. Then Peter transitions in verse 4. He gives us the foundation for our mission. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Him known. And He says in verse 4, as you come to Him, as you came to Him, as you were called to Him, now as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So He reminds us of who we are. He says, you are chosen, precious, and living. I'm not talking about babies in the womb, but they fit all three adjectives just given. Chosen, precious, and living. But he's talking about believers. He's talking about the church, the family of God, the household of faith. This is a precious thing. So here he says that um, we are chosen, precious, and living. Men and women, boys and girls, we are set apart to be holy and reveal God's glory. And we see here that Jesus is the foundation for every believer. He is the foundation of the church. We see this here in verse 5. We see it in verse 6. We see throughout this passage, Jesus is the foundation for every believer. He is the foundation for the church. You see this in Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. You'll see it up on the screen. We're not going to read it this morning, but let me let you know this. Jesus is our head. He is the head of the church. He calls the shots. He has all authority. We submit to Him. And that is a good thing because He loves us and He died for us. So we read that we are His. He is Lord. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. He brings life. This is why we read that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be holy a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But this is kind of strange. What are stones that live? I mean, I don't have stones that live in my rock bed outside of my house. What are stones that live? What does this mean? The metaphor here has two different points here. It points to the materials used for construction, but more than that, it points to the resurrection. It points to the resurrection. Peter is pointing back to Psalm 118, pointing back to Acts 4, and it points us forward to the resurrecting power at work through Christ, through His people, that He is, God has raised Jesus from the dead. He has raised us to life when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Now we live. We live unto Him. We're not just saved and then are stagnant. We are saved to be busy. We are saved to proclaim who He is. We are saved to live for Him. We are saved to say, God is good. Jesus is Lord. This is what we are saved to do. So here is the foundation, that we are living stones. 
Any builder knows that a home, a business, any structure must be built and laid upon a solid foundation. The foundation supports the load of the building and it keeps the building standing when storms come. We know the best foundation is Jesus Christ. He's the solid rock. And so now Peter again quotes often in this passage from the Old Testament. Again, quotes from Isaiah and Romans. Uh, Romans is in the New Testament, but anyway. Um, he's quoting all these different places, pointing out that the prophecies are true. God's word is being carried out. God has laid a perfect foundation. And what do the scriptures say? The scriptures say in verse 6, whoever believes in him, read that with me, verse 6. What does it say? Whoever believes in him altogether will not be put to shame. Amen. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Because this is God's work, what he has done. We will not be put to shame. And we see here that there is honor. There is honor for those who believe in verse 7. There is honor for those who believe. But there are others who do not believe. Just like when Jesus walked on earth, there were those who rejected him. But for us who believe, we receive honor. We, it is an honorable thing to follow Christ in the here and now, but what Peter has in mind here is eternity. He is pointing forward to the last day. The honor of you here is given on the day of judgment, that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Him, you will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. You will be innocent. You will be honored. You will be cleared of wrongdoing. Not because, as Paul said, not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ and His righteousness. Because you are united to Christ by faith. So Peter points us to eternity, and that's where our our eyes should be as well as we live here on earth, that we are focused on what God is doing in the last day. Then we come to verse 9. Verse 9, we come to a beautiful, all-encompassing truth revealed in Scripture. It says, you, you saints, you brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are a chosen race. Just, Just think about this for a second. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. This is the work of God. We could spend all day unpacking the beauty of verse 9. Anyone up for that? If you say yes, that means you're part of my new Bible study. Just think about this for a second. He has called people a chosen race. Notice it doesn't say races. One, a chosen race. Jews, Gentiles, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He has called them to be a chosen race. Wow. He has called us to be a royal priesthood. I'm not Aaron. I'm not a priest but he's called us to serve as a part of his team, a royal priesthood. He's called us to be a holy nation, to show his character. 
not ours. He's called us to be a people for his own possession. We once were aliens. We once were foreigners. We once were orphans. But now we are his people, his children. And last but not least, he's called us to proclaim the excellencies of God. He's not called us to be silent. He's called us to proclaim his greatness, his power, his value, his worth. We are called to share the glory. We are participants. We are his children. We are part of the body of Christ and we proclaim the excellencies of God because he did the work. He called us to be a part of his family. I know I read this before and I know we've sung this before, but I love the song, All I Have is Christ. It begins this way, I once was lost in darkest night. That is where we must begin. I often say the most important chapters to read in Scripture are Genesis 1 through 3. We must have a keen understanding of who God created us to be and where the fall has impacted us now and the hope that we have in the Redeemer and the Savior who is yet to come. So he says, the song says, I once was lost in darkness night, yet I thought I knew the way. There's a proverb there. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. All I know is grace. This is why we sing Amazing Grace. We thank God for His grace. This grace, this mercy is described in verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. He says, once, sounds just like the song, once I was lost in darkness night. Now, he says here, once you were not a people. You were scattered. You were lost. You were foreigners. You were orphans. You were not a people, but now you are. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Now you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. You have received mercy this morning. You have received grace this morning. And that changes everything. That changes everything. This is why Paul, this is why I was almost said Paul. This is why Peter reminds us of what God has done for for ten verses. I want you to slow down and to marinate on verse ten. You are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have to receive mercy. It is that foundation that impacts our mission. That these verses in chapter one, chapter two, the verse ten verses impact how we think, what we believe. All of that impacts now this command that we are about to see in verses 11 and 12. Peter encourages the believers in the area that were mostly made up of Gentiles 
that they are no longer in darkness. They are no longer deceived. Now they live in the light as God's people because of God's grace and mercy. And because of God's grace and mercy, this is the foundation for obedience. This is the foundation for obedience. Hear the tone of verse 11. Look, we have two verses left. And I think that clock is, is stuck. I'm very thankful for it. That's it's, Verse 11. Beloved. 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 Brother. Sister. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So he says, these fiery trials are going to impact you. But beloved, let me remind you of God's grace and mercy. Let me remind you of God's grace and mercy that we are not to live as the old man, the old woman, but we are to wage war against the passions of the flesh. Peter calls the believers to live, to live like they believe. Just like we heard last Sunday evening. They are to live as children of King Jesus, not children who follow their fleshly desires. Peter reminds them there is a war raging for your soul. There are demons and there are deceivers who deny the truth and they want you to deny the truth. And he says there is a war that is raging. Paul told Titus, watch out for those insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. John says the same thing in 2 John. He says, there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So watch out. There will be those who come to deceive and to distort the truth. But we are not called to deceive others. We are called to live for the truth. We are called to believe God and to glorify God in all things. That's what we see in our last verse this morning. Look with me at the last verse, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they will, when people speak against you for following Christ, because they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So keep your conduct honorable. Now again, we've had a foundation so far in chapter 2. We haven't gone through all of chapter 1, but God is reminding us of His grace and mercy. Remember, actually go back real quickly. In chapter 1, I love the opening here. In verse 2, well, let's just start the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of this person in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So grace and peace is the foundation for obedience. So it's, again, just like we heard last Sunday evening, your live should match your belief. So our beliefs and our behaviors should testify of genuine faith. The work of God in our lives should be apparent to everyone. It will contradict false allegations that may swirl in society and that may be on social media, but we know that we're following God. It's like Peter is quoting Jesus who said, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All to the glory of God.
So I've titled this message, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Holiness. Because we see here, I haven't really gone in great detail, we could do this later, but throughout this chapter we see that God has granted us life. He has given us life by calling us to himself. And we have been liberated from sin to live for him. We're not liberated to live for ourselves. We're liberated to live for him. And then we see that we are called to holiness. You and I are called to be holy people. This does not mean that we are perfect people. As I say, anybody raise your hand if you're perfect. None of us can. We are called to be redeemed people. That means that we are set apart. We are distinct to walk according to God's ways. Continually turning back to God. You and I are to show the beauty of Christ, what he has done for us, in us, and through us. This is what we see at the end of the chapter. Look with me at the end of the chapter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says, To this you have been called. You have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is what God has done. We are a redeemed, holy people. So Christian, hear me this morning. You have been changed. You have been bought with a price. So those who have been changed, those who are following Christ, Crave the things of God. Do not settle for the cravings of the world. Long for pure spiritual milk. Long for righteousness. Live for Christ. You have been changed by God, so now speak and live as His ambassador. Beloved, you are called to be different. And different isn't always popular. This doesn't mean you have to be weird. The world may think you're weird. But your life should be marked by the one who appeared to set you free. You're called to be different. And we must remember, as I said early on, we are complete in Christ. Jesus brings us joy. Find your joy in Him. May your passions be directed by God's grace to you. For the Christian... For those that Peter wrote to, for us today, every day is a battle for the truth. Listen to what Tom Schreiner says about fighting against the struggles within our own souls. I know this is kind of a uh, heavy quote, but just think about it for a second. The Christian life is certainly not depicted as passive in which believers simply let go and let God. The soul here does not refer to the immaterial part of human beings. The whole person is in view, showing that sinful desires, if they are allowed to triumph, ultimately destroy human beings. So Christian, hear me clearly. You must be on guard and active in the pursuit of God. 
when Justin is is on active duty, he doesn't when he gets a phone call, he doesn't say, "Ah, oh, no, I've decided to be not on active duty today." I'm pretty sure uh, there would be another phone call being made. And so there's no choice for Brother Justin. That's why we pray for him. For us as followers of Christ, there's no there's no choice that we are on active duty. So be clocked in, checked in, or logged in, whatever the phrase, phrase you want to use. Be all in. Because if Christ is in you, you have hope. Hope that changes the way you live. So as you fight for the truth, as I fight for the truth, live out the truth and obey God's commands. And Peter says, you are a witness to the world of what true freedom looks like. A freedom that only Christians can know. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, today. Pursue Christ, because only He can make you holy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You will make us more like Christ. I pray that You'll draw sinners unto Yourself. Lead us to repent. Encourage us to believe. And help us in our unbelief. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the work that you are doing in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will teach us to obey. And Lord, we know that you are with us, as your word says, to the very end of the age. So we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you are here with us. Thank you, Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.